Matthew chapter 9, if you'd stand as we read God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 14, says, Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth, because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. You may be seated. The idea of becoming new wineskins or new vessels with new attitudes and new focus is the theme of this new series. Now, for the last four weeks, four or five weeks, I guess, it's been a little bit different. Uh, our theme for this year is new. Just one word, new. And that came about, as I explained over the last four sermons, because of what I've observed over the last month, over the last year of COVID, and what the Lord really laid on my heart about what's going on and, and where we were as a church at New Life and as a body of Christ nationally and worldwide. So I really felt that there was a need for change and the Holy Spirit led that way. So that's where those last four weeks came from. And I laid out what the problem was. And the last couple of weeks, I laid out uh, six different things that I believe we needed to stop right now so that we could uh, do a 180 and get our way, start our way back towards uh, becoming healthy. The old ways aren't working anymore. Uh, there's always, ever in in history, in any organization, in any civilization, there are always moments of change. There are always moments of inspiration. There are always different moments that, that really matter and make a difference. And I believe that we are at a point in the life of the church, both New Life Church and the church nationwide and worldwide, where we're at an amazing moment of change. I think what has been revealed over the last year because of the COVID pandemic has been that the church in America, I can't speak worldwide, but I can speak about America from the, the churches I know, the people I know, the church in America is very shallow. It's a very shallow faith. It's a very superficial faith. And I think because of what we've done, and we're not going to rehash the, the last four sermons, but because of the way we've approached things, We've led up to that. But I also believe that there's a real hunger in the people of the church. And the response that I've had to what we're planning on doing here at New Life has revealed that there's a real hunger here at New Life as well. Now we can, we can panic about that. We can get discouraged. But neither of those responses to the problem will be productive and neither will help us to get ourselves and our church back on course. What we need to do is become new. We need to have the courage to see where we are, evaluate the consequences of staying in this state, not the state of Massachusetts, <laughs> okay, the state that we're in. And then coming up with an action plan to move us forward in the right direction, new. That's what we need. New vision, new energy, new excitement, new passion. We need new. 
And that's what we're going to be doing here at New Life. And quite honestly, I, I made this, I think it was about a month ago, I made this statement, what's old is what's new. We're going, we're going back to a lot of different things that used to be done, that we used to do, to bring back some of the, the flavor and some of the passion. So we're going to be, kind of be blending together the two generations, if you will. Now, we're not pursuing new simply for the sake of doing something different. We're going to be pursuing something. We're going to be seeking something. We're going to be developing a new hunger and thirst for God's word and God's righteousness, because that's what the Bible says that we need. These changes aren't going to be merely cosmetic. They're not going to be superficial. They'll be philosophical. They'll be different in many ways from what we're doing now. We're going to be offering more spiritual food to eat. I think the biggest thing is going to be, we're going to be asking you to commit more. We're going to be asking you to commit more, to come to church, and to come to Bible studies hungry. Church and Bible study attendance will be encouraged to the point of maybe sounding like a broken record. Why? Because it used to be that an active church member was one who attended church three times a week. My, uh, my family and many of you uh, and many of you watching grew up in a generation where being faithful to church, an active church member meant Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's the way it was in our house. We would, we would have somebody come over. Uh, we'd invite a, we, my parents once in a while would allow us to invite a friend over after church on Sunday afternoon or allow us to go over to a friend's house on Sunday afternoon because, but it was only a family who, who showed up on Sunday nights because my parents expected me to be back at church on Sunday night. Well, that has devolved into where we're at today to where now, an active church member is considered someone who attends church three times a month, and a regular or faithful church attender is someone who attends church. Now, check this out. This is how far we've devolved. And a regular or faithful church member is someone who attends church once every six weeks. That's the way it's defined. I don't think that's faithful in anything. If you didn't eat except once every six weeks physically, you wouldn't last very long. This is going to be infused with new energy and emotion, new opportunities and actions. We're going to put the new back in new life again. Over the last few weeks, as I said, I've laid out the problems and different things. And, but now we're going to be looking at, to answer the question, what will we do that's new? And there's going to be changes in programs. There's going to be changes in activities but the greatest change, the most new, will be in we. The most new that we're going to be shooting for is the new of we, of us, of collective new life. Because no change is of any value. Nothing new really matters if it's just cosmetic. The change must be deeper than that. It must be personal. It must be purposeful. It must be transformational. I was, last night, anybody, you could raise your hand if you're at home too. Anybody get stuck in a YouTube vortex every once in a while? You sit down and you, you see a video, right, on YouTube. 
I love boxing. Friday nights and Saturday nights. My wife, Erin, who will be here at 1030 service, she has narcolepsy. And she's on a, a, a brand new drug that they've put out that knocks you out. Narcolepsy isn't where you fall asleep constantly. Narcolepsy is where you're always tired and people with narcolepsy, their body doesn't have the capacity to regenerate, to energize itself just by sitting down for 10 minutes. A person with narcolepsy has to go to bed and allow their body to sleep because their body doesn't get into REM sleep. REM is where your body regenerates and rejuvenates itself. Aaron's body doesn't get into REM sleep. So she's on this new drug that just kind of knocks you out, right? So between having a wife that goes to bed sometimes at 6.30 at night and two nine-year-old boys in fourth grade who I can't get to bed early enough, um, I wish I could give them the medicine. I didn't mean that DCF if you're watching, it was just a joke, okay? but I, I just sit around and I, I, I love to watch boxing. I watched boxing last night, uh, last week, man, it was a great match, one of the greatest knockouts I've ever seen. It was uh, anyway, but I'll sit down and I'll watch uh, boxing uh, videos on YouTube. Well, I was watching a, a uh, YouTube video and it was kind of along this line uh, and I forget where I was going with that, but that's okay. Um, yeah, all right. What were, <laughs> that's just so frustrating. Um, but over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at new changes. We're going to be looking at these six topics. New urgency, new philosophy, new relationship, new familiarity, new strategy, new energy, and new execution. And I remember what it was. Okay. I was sitting and watching a video, right? And commercials come up on those videos, right? And this commercial, because it's all about being cosmetic. That's where the thought was, right? <laughs> now, I don't know if it shows up on, on uh, the Facebook or the YouTube feed, but because the camera's a little far away, but I actually am bald. I don't know if it, I don't know if it shows up on, on, the, uh, on the videos, but <sighs> the, this video showed this procedure. And it's so funny because they tell you, you know, if you don't have hair, you, you get your hair back, have a hair transplant, get your confidence back and stuff like that. Listen, I, I'm much happy. I'm, I shave my head to get like this. But it was this very new thing to where they take, they shave your head off and then they put this, they draw pictures on your head and they cut this thing out and they put it over your head and then they put glue all over it and then they paste real hair to it, and then they put it on your head. And they can even use it for different parts, like if you have a receding hairline, and they tell you, oh, it looks natural. (laughs) Okay, but at some point, that's going to come off. So it's just cosmetic, right? It's not real. It's just a covering for the problem underneath, right? And the problem is your body doesn't grow hair in certain spots on your head anymore. That's just the way it is. Cosmetic changes don't solve the problem. And what we're trying to do, what we want to do, what I want to do here at New Life is do more than just simply make cosmetic changes. What we want to do is ask you to be a part of all of this and be a faithful person of attendance 
and to listen honestly, participate. The biggest thing I miss about Wednesday night Bible studies is the participation. I love while I'm doing my online study, uh, I love the, the comments that come in, but it's tough sometimes to focus on my study and read the comments at the same time. So it's going to be great to have people live and we're going to have, and we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go along, but we're going to be, it's going to be dependent on you as well. Not just being faithful, but coming to these things hungry, asking God what you need to make you new and how to fix and put the new into new life. I'd ask you this as well. Don't dismiss it out of hand. Don't think that Pastor John is going off the deep end, that COVID has given him brain fog or something. Given me, I hate, I'm talking about myself in a third person. That was weird. Don't think that COVID has given me brain fog. Let's give it a listen, shall we? And see what you think. The first new I want to look at is this. We need a new urgency. We need a new urgency. Now I have nine-year-old twin sons. Getting them out of the house in the morning to get to school. They want to get to school. They like to go to school. They enjoy being in school. But getting them out of the house in the morning, especially Gabriel is a chore, man. It is a chore. Why? Because nine-year-old boys get distracted by everything, especially nine-year-old boys who've had ADD. They get distracted by everything. And Michael is that kid. You know when they talk about athletes uh, at, when they do draft combines, they talk about athletes with a great motor? Because that motor, that's Michael, man. Michael is like, he's, when you shoot a bullet or a BB into a rubber room, that's Michael. It's like, pew, 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 off the walls everywhere, just bouncing everywhere. And he bounces everywhere and doesn't get anything done. Like he'll bounce to the bathroom to brush his teeth and get his shoes, and a, but he didn't brush his teeth because he had to go get his shoes because he had to go get it. So he's a, all over the place. So we try to rein that in, but Gabriel is like, yo, what's up? It's morning. I hate mornings. And I'm just going to take my time and make everybody's life miserable. So I've had, we've, we've even worked with the principal to say, hey, Mr. Pre- hey, Mr. Fredette, could you tell Gabriel that he's going to lose, nursery, lose um, uh, recess if he's late, if him and Michael are late to school? And that's worked. We're trying to build in them a sense of urgency. What's well, the same thing with us in our faith? Same thing with us in our church. We are at a state and a stage in the history of the world where I believe we need an urgency. We need a new urgency in our lives, in our church, in our families, so that we will understand how important it is what we do here. Listen, we've lost a year. We've lost a year in a lot of areas. Parents, if you, have, if you have stayed away from that, and I, I don't mean this in a harsh way, if you've been out of church for a year, understand your children have lost a year of church growth in themselves. I am who I am today, and my sisters and my brother are who we are today, largely because our parents were faithful to get us into church. Now, we live, my parents lived that at home, and our home was a Christian home, a true Christian home. But church was a huge part of our spiritual growth and our spiritual lives. And that's why we are who we are. That's why all four of us are in church today. 
Don't underestimate the need your children have to be to have what you teach at home supplemented by your local church. We have an there needs to be a new urgency about you for your children and about you for your life and about you for your marriage. Listen, <clears throat> I know. We don't have we what happens at home doesn't always come out in public. But I know that there are a lot of families who are going through difficulties right now because you were cramped up and cooped up for a year together. It takes a toll. The way you're going to survive coming out of COVID and be able to celebrate that and stay together and grow and build on the challenges that you have overcome is by expressing a new urgency and growing in your faith and growing your family on the word of God. We need a new urgency, a new sense that what we do here at New Life matters, that what you do when you come here on Sunday morning matters. What we do here is vital for our lives, for our families, for our marriages, and for our friendships. And that what we do here has eternal significance for ourselves and for the world around us. We need to understand and have an urgency that what this church is about matters for eternity. And it matters for your life and for your family. We need a new urgency to commitment and purpose. Now, I love statistics, so I've got a bunch of statistics for you. Here are some some pre-COVID statistics that were true about church and church attenders. 67% of all church attenders attended church for these four main reasons. Now remember, this is all pre-COVID. To become a better person, to introduce their children to church, to find personal comfort, to get closer to God. Those are four really good reasons. Those are the four main reasons why almost seven out of every 10 per church attender attended church. 20% of adult monthly attenders said they don't feel any real connection to God during church. 40%, 40%, one out of every, uh, almost one out of every two church attenders don't feel a connection to their faith. Four, 40%. That's almost half in church. They don't feel a connection to their faith in church. 50% of all believers who don't attend church, 50% 50 of all believers who don't attend church give one of these three reasons. 23% can't find the right church. 9% have poor health. That's why we started our, our Facebook Live And 18% say the sermons aren't engaging. 37% of believers who don't attend claim to practice their faith in other ways. Now, this is where I get a little bit harsh, okay? Because that's ridiculous. And that's unbiblical. You understand that, right? We can have this debate. We can have this conversation. We can even have this argument if you want, But I'll guarantee you, if we draw the ground rules and say you have to use the Bible to make your point in this argument, you'll lose if you think you can say you practice your faith 
without being part of a local church. Because being part of a local church is God's plan. That's what the Bible teaches. Almost every, after you get through uh, the, the, the Gospels, every book after that is written either to a church, about a church, or to a church member to be distributed among the church. All the New Testament is written to churches. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll build my church. Now he was talking about the universal body of believers, but he was also talking about the local church. Because the word church, you know what the church means? The word church means it comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia means a called out group for a purpose. A group that is physically together for a purpose. To say that you practice your faith and you're a good Christian, but you don't, you're not part of a local church is wrong. Biblically, it does not. And I know for some of you, for some of you who have gotten into the habit of you just going to hang out and watch on, you're going to sit in your, in your PJs and drink your coffee and watch online and you never step foot in church. Listen, if it's your health, that's one thing. But if it's just your, your, your I'm going I'm to say it, okay? If it's just your flat out laziness because you don't want to get to church, you're wrong. You're wrong. And once you're able to get back to church, you need to be back in church faithfully. That's just, the, that's just the way the Bible says it. Only about 9% of church attenders tithe regularly. Oops. <laughs> Oops. We started talking about money a little bit here. Get ready because we're going to get into that a little bit more. During the Great Depression... Americans gave 3.3% of their income to the church before the pandemic. Giving was the, at, in, in the best economy in the history of America. Americans gave 2.5% of their income to the church less than during the great depression. That's crazy. 37% of church attenders do not contribute financially at all to the church. That's two out of every five church attenders. I'm not talking about believers that people claim to know Jesus. Two out of every five attenders of church do not financially support their church. 46% attend churches of less than 100. Only 8% of Christians say they prefer a mega church. So small churches are what people prefer. 87% of American homes own a Bible. 50%, yet 50% use the internet or a device to read their Bible instead. 58% of Americans wish they could study the Bible more. Well, we're going to make your wish come true. We're going to give you a lot of opportunities to study the Bible. 72% of Americans prefer to learn by video, so online Bible studies are attractive. That's why we're going to be combining. We're going to be having live and online together. We're going to be together. We're going to have live people in here. Each, each one of the breakout sessions, breakout Bible studies, is going to have, a fa- is going to have the, the, the opportunity to have a Facebook room so that if you can't make it, we understand not everybody can make it. Everybody has different schedules. If you can't make it, you can join a Facebook room and be part of the Bible study, but you need to be part of the Bible study. I'm thrilled, man, on Wednesday nights, Sometimes my Wednesday night Bible study is, has over 100 views. Now listen, I'm not, I know who I am and I know uh, your wife told me this morning, Ben, your wife Amber, who plays our piano so you can send her, hate, uh, send her nasty grams. She said, I have a bulldog aura. 
<laughs> I've been told that before, by the way. I've been called a bull. I've been called much worse than a bulldog. But, uh, but I get that. I come across, I'm very, I'm very forward and very um, almost in your face sometimes. That's just the kind of person I am. That's the way, that, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> but um, to hear that, to, to see that over 100 people watch my Bible study on Wednesday night is exciting because that means there's 100 people engaging in the word of God. So why would we shut that faucet off just because we go live? We're going to combine the two so that we can have people here live and we can engage in those conversations. And we can also have an online presence so people can be part of that. And you're going to be able to, anyway, we're not going to get into all of that. 72% of Americans, uh, we already talked about that. 94% of church attenders say they stay at their church because they mostly or completely believe its theology and agree with its theology. That's what we have to understand. And I think that's, and I've got to be honest with you, full disclosure, I think that's one of the points that I didn't grasp. And until I saw this statistic, it never really hit me that people are in their church, not for the, the lights and the flash and the music. People are in their church because they agree with what that church teaches. So if 94%, if almost 100%, you realize that's 94 out of 100 people. So if 94% of the church agrees with it and they stay here because of the theology, that's what we should be focused on. It's not about the experience. It's about what the word of God has to say to us. And then this one was crazy. Now the numbers aren't really that high, but it is kind of telling. More church, more people leave a church because of politics, 9%, than because of music changes or conflicts. In fact, it's twice as many. Twice as many people leave church because of politics than leave because of music changes or because of problems in the church. What these statistics tell me is that there's a great need for the Bible in a local church. And there's a decent, if not a great hunger among believers to make a difference and enough potential unity among like-minded believers not to worry about offending some over theology and methods. In short, a new urgency to build believers in their faith is needed. It has to happen now. We can't afford to wait any longer. We see that. I believe that I believe it, it has to start now. We're living on and in borrowed time. Jeremiah 8.20 says, harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. That's a verse that has always broken my heart. Because there are people that will have had many, many, many opportunities to hear the gospel and to accept Jesus Christ. And there will come a day where they realize that they made the wrong choice. And the harvest is past, the summer is ended, Christ has come back, and they stand before him. And it's too late. That's what we want to avoid for our friends and our family. 
That's the, what we want to avoid for our community. We want to build ourselves up in our faith so that we can tell people about Jesus intelligently and win them to Christ because they don't have a lot of time. Romans 13, 11 says, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because our, now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I love how Paul wrote that and the phrasing of that. <laughs> now... He wrote that almost 2,000 years ago. You realize that, right? He says almost 2,000 years ago, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. If Paul saw an urgency 2,000 years ago, how much more urgent is it for us today to live our faith and to share our faith and tell others and to grow? Now, in what areas does that new urgency apply? We need a new urgency to grow personally. We need a new urgency to grow personally. You cannot any longer rely on other people to be your strength. You can no longer simply ride the coattails of New Life Church and say, my church has got the matter under control. I'm okay. We need a new urgency to understand I have to grow personally. That includes me. Listen, I, I am not as ambitious as my father was. My dad was driven to get his doctorate. And it's the old saying, you know, I know people who graduated from college, uh, magna cum laude, I graduated from college, thank the Lord. That's just, <laughs> I was just glad to get out, man. I, I love to study, but I, I, I don't like to study for a grade. I like to study. I like to read. I like to, I audit, anybody audit classes? I audit classes online. That means you take the class, you don't get credit because you don't pay. <laughs> but I still take the classes. And I do all, all kinds of stuff like that. And maybe someday I will get to that point, but I just don't, I, I'm just, I, I'm not motivated that way. But I am motivated to know that I have to constantly grow in my faith. I try to listen to two, three, sometimes five, six, seven different sermons a week and, and lessons and studies and conversations and read articles and read essays and read different books so that I can constantly grow in my faith and understand and learn and go deeper and deeper in my faith because I don't want to be a surface, shallow Christian. For crying out loud, I lead a church. I need to be able to know what I'm talking about. I need to have that, that, I need to have that change in my pocket so that what I say is believable. The time for you to take your faith seriously in new life is now. The time to take your spiritual growth seriously is now. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus and Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. The time for you to get to know Jesus in a personal way and to learn how much he loves you is now. Listen, we have so much, let's just be honest, man. There is so much anger and hatred in America today. I found out, and I speak out about, I don't really care if it makes people uncomfortable or not, because I, I have skin in the game. I have two brown sons. Literally, I have skin in the game. East Long Meadow, some East Long Meadow high school boys made a Facebook, made a, a, um, an Instagram page. You know what that Instagram page was? White supremacy. The high school, not even a mile from, my, from our church. 
the high school that my boys will be going to. Yeah. You don't think you, you, you don't think that's a problem? There's anger and hatred in our society, and it's here. It's here. And it's even in the church. And there, are, there, there is anger and hatred among groups and among people. And if we're not careful, we will take that anger and hatred onto ourselves. And instead of loving ourselves as Jesus loves us, as he tells us to, we will become to loathe and hate ourselves. And that is nothing but self-destructive. And listen, I have done too many funerals that were, the ca- were, were caused by self-destruction. It's no fun. And what you leave behind is no fun. We need to start learning and, and understanding and have a, an urgency to understand how much Jesus loves us and what that means for us. You may not have the greatest opinion of yourself. Other people may not have the greatest opinion of, their, of you. But if you start to understand and learn how much Jesus loves you, the opinion you have of yourself will change dramatically. Because you'll understand that the creator of this universe died for you because he wants to spend eternity with you. Do you realize? Check this out, man. How cool is this? Jesus says to each of us personally, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm making a, I'm making a room for you in my home. Why? If I'm making room for you, if I'm, if I'm making a bed for you, if I'm putting together a home for you to be with me, I'm coming back to get you. Because I love you so much. I died so that you could be with me. The only way you could spend eternity with me is if I gave my life for you. And that's what I did. And once you start grasping the enormity and the magnitude of the fact that Jesus loved you enough to die for you, you will start realizing that you have self-worth. You will start realizing that you have value. You will start realizing that it doesn't really matter what other people think of you because the creator of all the universe loves you. Listen, I don't really care what other women think of me. I don't really care whether they think I'm handsome, whether they look like the bottom of a shoe. I don't really care. You know why? Because Erin May Chase loves me. She loves me. I frustrate her. That's my game plan. But she loves me. And that's what matters. And I can go on with my day knowing that at the end of the day, I get to come home with a, to a woman who loves me. And then that gives me value. My two little boys... They love me. And I come home and I pick them up at school and they have big smiles on their faces. And they want to tell me all about their day. Why? Because they love me. It doesn't matter. Listen, I don't care. It, it doesn't matter if other kids hate me. My little boys love me. And that gives me value. And that means that I have, I have a purpose in this world. You need to start understanding now. You need a new urgency now to realize that Jesus loves you and has a purpose for your life. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, it says that, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. 
And listen, the time for you to finally surrender your life, passion, and purpose, family, marriage, and finances to God is now. It's now. The time is now. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Secondly, we need a new urgency to unify as a church. We need a new urgency to unify as a church. Listen, we've had enough division, new life. There's been enough backbiting. There's been enough gossip. There's been enough ugly. We need a new urgency to unify as a church. I was so proud to be a part of new life over this last year. This church rallied, especially, now let me tell you, let me tell you, and people don't want to talk about this and people want to, you know, we, they want to fight over this part, but I don't particularly care. <laughs> the world has COVID. It hit our church, big deal. Okay, we survived it. We came through. Everything's great. If you, if you haven't gotten over the fact that it hit here, get over it. Okay, I'm telling you now, get over it. All right, it happened. It happened. We got it done. Move on. Stop being whatever about it. Let me tell you what I loved about that time during COVID. It was no fun to go through. And I don't minimize the people who had it because I had it very easy and we had people that had it very tough. We had wives who were terrified that they were going to be widows. But our church pulled together and our church loved on each other. And people who had COVID were checking up on each other. And people who didn't have COVID were making deliveries to people who did. And people who didn't have COVID were calling and encouraging. And even though we couldn't be there face to face, we were with each other and we were checking up on each other. And it showed me that our church loves each other and there is a desired unity in this place. And it was an important moment in, our, in the life of our church because it showed us that not only do we need each other, we want each other. There's a new urgency to unify as a church. Never before has the world needed the church so much, while at the same time, Christians are ignoring the church so much. That's, I, I, that, that's a, a quote by me. <laughs> But it's powerful to me. Never before in the history of the world has the world needed the church so much. But Christians are ignoring the church so much. Rick Warren said many believe one can be a good Christian without joining or even attending a local church. But God would strongly disagree. What does that a new urgency to unify as a church mean? It means we need to unify in support of each other. We need to unify in support of each other. Enough, enough of the beating each other up. You know, listen, can I tell you something? Let me, let me just say this, okay? And I say this often, but I'm going to say it again, just so it'll get through. There's one pastor in this church, and that's me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. Unless you kick me out. This is where I'm at. So stop trying to do my job. All right? Stop trying to do my job. I'm the one that has it. Let me do my job. And you step in and you fill in and you do yours. I don't want to do your, I don't want to do your job. I don't want to run the children's ministry. Man, when Flavia said she wanted to do Awana, I like had a, a Baptist fit here, like raising my hands and jumping around. You know why? Because I don't want to teach children. 
My goodness, I'm, I, I love them, but I'm not good with kids. I, I'm, I'm man enough to admit that. You have a place. Fill that place. Stop jockeying for position. Stop undermining and undercutting each other, folks. Stop it. You're not getting anywhere. I've, I'm pretty intuitive about this stuff. I've, I've worked in churches long enough and I've seen it. And quite honestly, I've had it happen to me enough to where I know the signs. And you're not getting anywhere. In fact, if I see somebody who over and over and over again has to undercut other people to elevate themselves, guess what? That person doesn't get anywhere near leadership in my church. Because that person, I can't trust them because they're not doing it for the right reasons. So stop it and start working together, supporting each other. The second thing, you can look up Colossians 3, 12 through 14 for the sake of time. The second thing we need a new urgency to unify as a church about is we need to unify in faithfulness to our church. It is important. It matters. It matters that you're here. It matters that you're faithful to church. You are missed, not simply because we want the numbers, but because do you realize the act of getting out of bed, getting dressed, getting your family together, and getting here to church for service is an act of faithfulness and an act of personal commitment to God? And it's an act of commitment to your church, to the body of Christ. We need to unify in our faithfulness to our church, in our service and encouragement for each other to grow and attend church. You need to understand your life is better when you attend church. Your life is better when you attend church. Your family is better when your family is in church. And folks, your marriage is better. Your marriage is better when you are in church. One of the things I'm proudest about my marriage is that we met in church. We met in church. Aaron showed up in church and, and uh, we met in church. And that's what our, our, our whole relationship was, was first founded on the fact that we attended the same church and were, now I was the pastor, but she was part of Bible studies and things like that. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. By the way, that is a commandment in the Bible to be in church, to be faithful. You can't dance around it. That's exactly what it is. We need to unify in faithfulness as a means of expressing the desperation of the times and our need for direction. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And we need to unify in financial commitment to this ministry. Malachi 3.8-10, will a man rob God? Ooh, ow, ouch, that one hurts. Will a man rob God? Yet you were robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tithes and the contributions. 
You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth or tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. You say, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor John. Okay, how about some New Testament knowledge dropping on you? Second Corinthians 9, 7. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. First Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will be needed to, to be made when I come. You can debate, listen, pay attention to this. You can debate the amount or the percentage, but you can't debate your responsibility to financially support your local church and the work of God. You can have the debate whether you think tithing is Old Testament and whether you think it's different in in the age of grace, in the church age, but what you can't debate is the fact that God says truly, simply, and emphatically, we are each responsible to support in some way financially our local church. That is biblical. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care if it offends your delicate sensibilities. That's what the Bible says. Do with it what you will. But listen, if we're going to get the job done, we need to unify in the financial support of the ministry of this church. And yes, I know, I get paid by the financial support of the ministry. Quite honestly, folks, if you want to bring that argument, which people have made to me, I'd like to get paid a full salary. You know what my salary is budgeted at? My salary is budgeted at about $70,000. You know what I make? $275 a week. Right? So you can throw that argument right out the window. This is not a personal thing. This is the fact that we as a church need to take responsibility for our church financially. If you give to God your way and not his, if you choose to not support your local church to support another ministry other than your local church, you're doing it your way and not God's way, and you're robbing God point blank and personal. And lastly, we need a new urgency to evangelize locally. David Kinneman, who works for the Barna, Associate, the Barna Organization, said, in an, in, now this is, very, this is a very powerful statement. In an era of mass media, it is easy to believe that the more eyeballs, the more impact. But radio, television, and tracts accounted for a combined total of less than one half of 1% of the busters who are born again. That's the age, age 42 to 55. That's a powerful statement, man. For all Christians in America, ages 42 through 45, mass media accounts for less than one half of 1% of all the salvations. That's amazing. So nowadays that churches are going to this online and they're having churches in Georgia are having watch parties in Minnesota. Man, that's not how people get saved. That's not how, that's not how people come to know Christ. We've seen that. (laughs) Mass media is the way to do it is to evangelize locally. There's a reason why there's a local church, a local body of believers. And we need to unify in the fact that that's what we are here for. We're here to grow in our faith first. And then to reach out and and win people to Jesus Christ. John MacArthur said, one thing I have observed in all my years of ministry is that the most effective and important aspects of evangelism usually take place on an individual personal level. Most people do not come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they hear in a crowded setting. They come to Christ because the influence of an individual. 
Look at Jesus, man. He taught to massive crowds, but the most impactful conversations Jesus had were one-on-one. Jesus with the woman at the well. Jesus with Zacchaeus. Jesus uh, in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. The most powerful conversations Jesus had were one-on-one with people. And that's the way people come to Christ, one-on-one. Each one reach one. Remember when we, we had that series, each one reach one? That's the way it's done. How do you get to that point where you can be one that's reaching one? You get faithful in your spiritual growth. In 2000, 45% of Americans were practicing Christians. In 2019, it's 25%. You know, we're going we're gonna, to um, skip through those statistics because I think the point's been made. It's obvious, that we are, that it's obvious to see that mass media and online outreach is not the answer to, eva- to evangelism. We are. It's obvious. Luke 14, 23, then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Once again, go out there and bring them in. So my house, what is the house of God? The church is the house of God. Jesus said, bring them into my house. Bring them into a local body. That's our call. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then can they call on him who they have not believed? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to us who are being saved. In Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Man, this is what it's about. Getting yourself together spiritually, growing passionately in your faith, and then taking it out there, taking it to all the world. We need a new urgency, new life. We need a new urgency. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your house today. Thank you for your word and thank you for its power. And God, I pray that what has been delivered this morning will be impactful. And I pray that it will draw us to you. Bless us as we go from this place. Bless those who heard your word this morning online. God, may it challenge their hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.